Hi guys, welcome to Fit Food Radio episode 151. It's me, Keris, and there is no Matt today, but I'm not on my own. I have a brilliant guest on the show. Her name is Kate, and she has the best surname, actually, which... Kate? It's How'd You Go. How'd You Go. How cool is that? <laughs> I've actually been calling you Kate Gecko for about three years. <laughs> Most people have. <laughs> Spelt slightly differently. Um, I met Kate at the college that I lecture at, and I wanted to come on the show today because she's been helping her mum with nutrition, and her mum actually suffers from multiple sclerosis, and she's been doing some incredible stuff. I've just been helping a little bit where I can, but it's really been all down to Kate. It was, it's been a very courageous journey, I have to say as well, because you've had to battle against medical professionals to be able to adjust your mum's nutrition to, to really help her with her condition. And I thought the story would be really useful for all of you guys to hear, because it really is testimony to the power of nutrition. But also, multiple sclerosis is an autoimmune condition, and it's one of those, like many chronic diseases, where there is very little advice given about what you can do from a nutritional perspective, lifestyle perspective, some of the things that might feed in that we kind of talk about on this podcast. And really, that's what I think your your story is, is going to help people to, to understand that there's so much more that we could all be mm-hmm. doing, uh, whether mm-hmm. you know somebody who has a condition like this, or you know maybe you suffer from this or have just been diagnosed yourself. We were just chatting before we went live on the podcast and I was saying that, that they do kind of refer to autoimmune conditions as a coming storm because they are on the increase and it's a, they're, they're not new, but the, the rates and, yeah. and the frequency of them are kind of occurring seems to be something that I suppose our traditional medical system doesn't seem to be very well adapted to in terms of how it can manage them. And it's, it's medications that pe- these people are generally offered uh, with autoimmune conditions, it tends to be about suppressing the mm-hmm. immune system or dealing with some of the symptoms, um, helping individuals. Anyway, I'm waffling. I need to get... <laughs> Kate, hello. Hello. And uh, let's start off with you kind of telling us a little bit about yourself and then we'll, we'll go deep into your journey. Oh, okay. That sounds good. Well, yeah, first of all, thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, it's a real pleasure. But yeah, so I have just qualified as a nutritional therapist um, from the college that you teach at, as you said, um, CNM. And yeah, I graduated in February. And before that, I was I had a career in um, digital marketing and I was enjoying it. But I just knew that it wasn't really something that I wanted to do or could see myself doing for the long term. Um, I was living in Australia for a while and I by chance had a conversation with a nutritionist and naturopath who was the the host of an Airbnb I stayed in completely random and she brought me breakfast and we ended up having a like a two-hour conversation about her what she did and this was all just completely overwhelming to me that someone could um do do this as a living and um she was explaining to me um how she helps all these different people with different conditions through the power of nutrition and and herbs and um Chinese herbal medicine and things like that and um we spoke about my parents so as Carissa said my mum has multiple sclerosis my dad's had a heart condition and I was sort of talking to her about both of my parents and she was really able to add extra insight that I'd never heard from any sort of medical professional about their conditions before. And it really blew me away. But I just thought, interesting conversation, leave it there. But I moved back to the UK shortly afterwards. And that conversation just kept 
coming back around in my head as I was, yeah, as I said, happy enough in my job, but knew that it was just not quite right. And so I thought I just started to have a look into whether I could do some similar training in the UK and eventually came across um, CNM and uh, thought, oh, is this too late to change career? And am I too old? <laughs> but I thought, no, this is this has got to happen. So I decided to go for it. And three years later, Here you are. blood, sweat and tears. <laughs> It came out the other side, yeah, and now practicing and seeing clients um, uh, online, obviously, and uh, absolutely loving it. And yeah, I'm very glad I made the change. Well, you've kind of been training in action as well, because yes. like most people, <laughs> when they start training, you start applying the information, especially to people that you live with or your nearest yeah. and dearest, much to their sometimes, <laughs> they're not that impressed with that. I know. <laughs> Didn't ask for this. It doesn't always come with a, yeah, happy face. <laughs> no, no, not at all. But I think interestingly when you're saying I mean did the the situation with your parents kind of influence your own journey with your studies as well did you find you were much more kind of interested in the immune system side of things or cardiovascular definitely I was really really interested in autoimmunity full stop um but yeah so the immune system and and all that goes with it but I was was going to say one element mm. with that would also be we know there's a kind of genetic predisposition yes and one thing that you've just mentioned is that uh, before the podcast Mm. to me is that there are other people in your mum's family who have multiple sclerosis Yeah. yeah so there's going to be maybe a slightly risk higher risk for you as well exactly. so did that kind of yes you on a little bit? It, it absolutely did yeah two of mum's brothers also have um ms um fortunately are not in the same sort of position as, as mum they're sort of um healthier if you like but yeah it definitely was it has always really been in the forefront of my mind that there is a strong genetic predisposition that's what we were told as a family so um my brother and i i suppose have always got that in our minds um so again i think the reason i started doing the training was really because of wanting to know more about how those sorts of conditions can be helped rather than just sort of suppressing it, the immune system. And I suppose just instinctively, maybe I just thought it's got to be more. It never really sat well with me that, you know, we were just sort of told, well, that's it. That's the diagnosis. Off you go. It'll just, there's no kind of stopping it apart from steroids and things like that, which is just suppressing. So yeah, it was definitely always something that I was interested in when it came to the immune lectures and the cardiovascular lectures, like you said, and and also the link between sort of mental health and, and gut health, that was also a big interest as well. Well, the other thing about the kind of autoimmune conditions is they, they say there's also usually maybe there can be an environmental trigger. Mm. So environment's quite important. Yes. I always think of environment as internal and external. Yeah, so good. when you think about the internal environment, you're thinking about everything from the health of the gut, health of the blood, the nervous system. Yeah. External environment, you're thinking about, you know, where someone lives, so yeah. city, towns. Mm-hmm. You know, we know the problems with things like pollutions and the hygiene hypothesis that maybe we're mm-hmm. a bit too sterile and not mm-hmm. getting enough exposure to things that we should. Our immune systems need in yes. those early years of life. I think you know you could do an entire podcast just on autoimmunity, but I'm conscious I, I really want you to kind of <laughs> talk about what you've been doing again, just to in, inspire other people. Yeah. But there is also that emotional element, and just from my own kind of client base, when I look at those that have autoimmune conditions, I've seen several cases now where there'll be some kind of really difficult, arguably traumatic event that takes place. It could mm-hmm. be marital affairs. I've seen bullying at work. I've seen the death of a parent, bereavement. Mm-hmm. And it's literally straight away autoimmune, mm-hmm. quick onset mm-hmm. sometimes. Your mum's are slightly different. So your mum's was quite early in life, wasn't it, when yeah. she was diagnosed? So just yeah. tell us a little bit about 
Uh, yeah, sure. She was 23. She was um, practicing as a nurse in, here in, uh, in London. <laughs> and yeah, she, being a nurse, sort of knew what the signs and symptoms were for MS. So she could kind of recognize it in herself and started to sort of feel the, the tingles in the back of her neck when she was um, leant over the bath washing her hair. Aww. And she, obviously this was happening repeatedly and thought, mm, I should probably get this checked out. But it's really hard to diagnose MS, as I'm sure you're aware. So it took several years actually for her to get a proper diagnosis. I mean, it didn't yeah. take that long. Wow. No. Is it more like a diagnosis of exclusion? So it's not this, it's not this, it's not this. That kind it? of thing. And then she had the spinal tap okay. um, for the full diagnosis. Do they use any antibody testing with MS now or is that... To be honest, I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, That's fine. I'm sure. I don't think so. I don't think so. But they're yeah. actually ignoring a lot of antibody testing, even if it's coming back positive. Often, it's not. You really, really? use a diagnostic tool as much. No, they, they do it, but then they're not kind of saying yes or no, yeah. just on the basis of that one. Yeah. From what I've seen, anyway. Mm. Sorry, carry on. No. Um. Yeah. So she was. She just met my dad and. Um, they got married and um, they were advised against uh, having children because they, the, the consultant said it might exacerbate your symptoms um, having children. But mum and dad were pretty adamant that they wanted children, so they had us anyway and actually defied the medical <laughs> advice because mum and dad both say that she never felt better when she was pregnant with me and Peter, oh, my brother. I've heard that quite a lot. Yeah. In other from hormonal issues to really you know, all clears up in pregnancy. Yeah. I think. Is it just the hormones or is it, I think also the immune system might yeah. be slightly suppressed. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. And fortunately, whilst my brother and I were quite you know young and that kind of influential age where you want your mum and dad to be running around with you, she was able to do all of that. So we are really fortunate that she wasn't affected so much by sort of the mobility side of MS or the lack of mobility of MS um, until later on. So she, and it was a gradual process. So she then started to need. You know, she was taking naps a lot, and she was very tired, fatigued. So she gave up work, and then she'd sometimes use crutches to walk. She was getting a bit unsteady. She was starting to fall over. So then she would use sort of a, a frame, and then sometimes a wheelchair when she was out and about. And then just as I said, gradually, she started to need um, a wheelchair. Um, and she started to obviously not be able to go upstairs. So we adapted the house so that she could have, she could sleep downstairs and. Um, my dad's such just a massive change for you as a family, isn't huge. it? Like you don't, yeah. I, I suppose I've just, I, I know speaking to you, like how how hard this has been on all of you emotionally, mm. and, and mm. you know your brother and your dad as well. But I suppose just thinking about how it's gone on for years and years and years. Yeah. Now you're kind of telling the story. I'm really thinking, God, it must be just always there and present, and definitely you're all kind of worried about what the next phase is going to be. As definitely, well. yeah. And that's the thing with MS. You know, it's it's so unpredictable. You yeah. could be in a wheelchair in, in you know a year versus 20 years it's it's so difficult to, to be able to predict and that was that's I think even now the the really tricky thing about it is that it is it's that kind of almost a, it's a horrible way of putting it but like a ticking time bomb you don't really know what's coming um but yeah so we, we dad is incredible and made all these provisions so that mum you know could we could stay in the house that we were in um but then they needed to adapt the downstairs and I said make a wet room and uh, you know, hoists and everything, so that mum could um, could be cared for properly. So then we started to have to have carers coming in to help out with sort of um, evening and and morning sort of routines. But yeah, she I suppose she had a few relapses because with MS you usually start with relapsing remitting. So you have a big you're fine for a while and then you have a big relapse which can just. And Dad is actually saying to me recently that it was in '97 that she 
just completely was just like a rag doll, Dad said, and he had to take him to hospital and she was given IV um, steroids for three weeks and then three weeks of rehab and then came home. So she, it, it always sort of then weakens you a little bit further each time. And then you progress, or you can progress, into secondary progressive MS, which is now what mum has, um, which sort of means you don't have those relapses. It's sort of just a steady decline in, in mobility and, and cognition and things like that. So, yes, that mum, I went into secondary progressive quite some time ago. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, again, we're very fortunate that she didn't get to that stage until Peter and I were in our teenage years. So I've got lots to be thankful for from that side of things. <laughs> And at the time, so you were you were saying, in terms of being able to eat food and things mm. like that, she was just able to yeah. consume food. When did, when did that change? Because there was kind of a big shift in terms of her treatment. It was a big shift, that? yeah. So um, she started to just was gradually getting weaker and weaker, but nothing too noticeable. I suppose when you when you see her all the time, you can't really tell. But anyway, in August 2017, she went into hospital with, um, she was struggling to swallow properly and she was always sort of prior to that for a few weeks she'd been struggling to eat without choking which was obviously really scary for her and everybody around her and it turns out that some of the um, food and fluids was going down into her lungs so she had what's called aspirational pneumonia so she was in hospital being treated for that and obviously the investigations were happening as to okay why is this happening because aspirational pneumonia is when something goes down into your you know food or, or fluid goes down into your lungs and so they did this sort of dynamic swallow x-ray and they could see that actually every time she ate or, or drank something, at least some of it was going into her lungs, even if she wasn't aware of it, even if she wasn't coughing and spluttering. Mm. So this was a big shock to all of us. Um, and the speech and language therapists and the consultants at the time said, well, there's no other choice here. She has to go onto what's called um, tube feeding. And um, for her, it's... Um, uh, we call peg feeding, which is percutaneous endoscopic gastrostomy. Um, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, <laughs> practically. Um, yeah, so it, usually you have a sort of a stepping down process. So you go to puree foods and, and then eventually go on to tube feeding. But for mum, poor thing, it was overnight. Um, you can eat normally and then you can't eat normally. Wow. Um, and it was a, such a big shift in someone's life, isn't it? Yeah. And even as you as a family, yeah. you know, to not suddenly have meal times yes. and things like that together. Yeah. Yeah, it was a big adjustment. And I think looking back at the time, you know, there wasn't a huge amount of support um, around what was happening. And as I've come on to, there wasn't really the choice um, in terms of what she then was going to be provided nutrition wise. So I think the dietitians put forward a couple of different brands and pharmaceutical brands that make this feed. Um, and, and, uh, uh, and it's yeah. supposed to be nutritionally complete so yeah. it's got vitamins, minerals, yes. proteins, carbs, fats yes um, and there are different there are some differences um, different calories different macro splits some have got more fibre and some haven't so there's a little bit of a range but there's not anything that's sort of personalised it's it's uh, there's only there's only a handful of different um, types that you can go for so they decided I'm not even sure how at this time because I was removed from all this at the, at the time I was only just at um, starting to learn about nutrition so I was, this was over my head but I certainly didn't really like the thought of it at the time even but she went on to uh, have the procedure obviously the tube that comes out of the stomach um, to the outside so that was all difficult for the carers and dad to get their heads around and mum to then only be able to, to then only have the taste of food sort of on your lips. Um, so what they would just kind of swish it around her mouth yeah. so she could have that. 
Yeah. Is that for kind of sensory, like yes. for her benefit, or is it because they know, I know they now say that we've got like receptors on the tongue that trigger the gut and... Uh, I don't think there's anything to do with that oh, really? from their point of view. Okay, yes, right. I think so you and sensory. I would think that, yeah. <laughs> but they were just like for pleasure, it's taste for pleasure. Wow, so okay. um, they would just say on a little sponge stick um, you just put some you know I don't know chocolate melted chocolate around the sponge and you can at least then taste it as long as she doesn't have to actively swallow right um, oh, yeah. so it can just do anything that can dissolve yeah so yeah so fluids and uh, this feed and water was going in through the through the tube um, and you said a nurse tasted it once and said it was oh, it tastes like condensed milk really yeah. so it's very sweet very sweet yeah very very sweet the ingredients are all quite synthetic um, and actually I asked the dietitians once what what what's in this you know and they sort of looked at me fairly baffled they couldn't really tell me everything so oh, wow, really? it's, um, it was a bit surprising to say the least yeah, yeah. of course yeah but um, and was there kind of a change then did you notice a change in her mm, when you shifted onto this this feed instead the, yeah definitely the biggest change I think was the increase in weight um, which was really noticeable and very fast so um, mum was a pretty healthy weight prior to that when she was eating normally um, but the dietitians had calculated her um, caloric sort of needs based on her activity levels and her age and her height and that kind of thing but um, she was just put into this category okay this is the amount of calories you need um, and it just clearly was too much for her because she was ballooning and her clothes were starting to not fit she was really uncomfortable she was saying I don't like being this weight and my dad was trying to tell this to the dietitians who were saying well this is this is good we do not want her losing weight that would be much more worrying to us oh, God. so I was like yeah okay but can you not see you know and she was being weighed um can you not see that this is this is unhealthy surely you know um and she, she can't do any exercise at this point in time or no do... I think just at the beginning she was probably still on her sort of like an exercise bike just for the lower half of the body and, and it, the pedals move around mechanically and you put your feet on it so it's sort of assisted yeah um so she was doing some of that but she just became weaker and weaker and I think cognitively she was sort of declining as well which must be hard because she said all the way through this she was still very present and yeah nothing at it you know neurological wise as in sorry cognitively she was fine yes still your mom and you have conversations with her yeah and it just seemed like this gradual quite quick if that makes sense um decline in in a lot of of what made mum mum yes yes so she then uh, was going back and forth into hospital with um more bouts of aspiration pneumonia which was then turning to sepsis and some really scary times so she'd had the peg fitted in late 2017 then early 2018 she was back in into itu it was very scary times and again we were just always told by the consultants pulled into side room sort of saying this is what happens with MS you need to sort of just prepare yourselves and and um obviously very upsetting but I don't know something just it just didn't feel like anything proactive was being done it was all just reactive it was all just okay we're managing stuff as it happens you said this before to me that because one thing with it being kind of incurable we think that you, you were kind of saying that you were almost told this is just the way it's going to be. It's going yeah. to be decline, decline, decline now. You, yeah. This is what you should expect. Mm-hmm. And that was your frustration. You were like, could we do more? And, and I remember you telling me that you wanted to organise a meeting between, because you had so many consultants mm. by this point in time, yeah. which, which is the case of a lot of clients I work with actually now, yes. where they might have something going on with their urinary tract and their gastrointestinal yeah. uh, system as well. And 
they can be connected. Like they hundred percent can be connected, and the two teams won't talk or mm-hmm. discuss. And you actually asked your mom's GP, mm-hmm. could we get a, a meeting together of her neurologist, mm-hmm. a gastroenterologist who was working with her, yep. and then did she have someone else? Neurologist for kidney stones. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, and and the answer was. Uh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> no, we can't do that. It's uh, it, it's not impossible to get that many people together and such senior consultants together, yeah. um, which was really disappointing. And yeah, as I said to you at the time, it just felt, because um, that was after one of her serious um, stays in hospital with, in the in ITU. And it was, it was as if, and obviously I don't know, but it was as if the GP had sort of almost wanted to just shoot my dad and I out of the office it was like well this is this is kind of it now you know you just need to accept it yeah, well. yeah yeah and I think that was a start the, the the starting point for me thinking getting a bit more dissatisfied with that kind of response yeah um, her neurologist was fantastic is fantastic um and holds his hands up and says look I, I I'm just not trained in gastroenterology I just don't know but um, he was actually one of the consultants that was really behind what I ended up doing with one, which we'll come on to. Oh, that's good. Yeah. But it's crazy when you think you have an enteric nervous system around your gut. Like, yes. I don't know, you just think there would be some kind of communication yep. between the different... You, know, you would think, expression. just even from a common sense point of view. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's a shame because obviously these consultants are trained in their specific area of expertise and yeah. they then don't go outside of that. Um, but so, in a way, as they all kind of were reluctant to do more, it was kind of spurring and motivating yeah, you yeah. to do more and actually, you know, kind of almost building this, this like, fire inside you. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to stand for this, <laughs> I'm not going to stand for this. And then you finally did step up, didn't you? Yeah, definitely. So she had that time in the ITU. She came home, things were looking up. Then she went back in again in 2019 in March with more pneumonia. And I just I was like, something is... There's more to this, you know. Her immune system is obviously compromised, but it's it's shot to it. So you're not, we're not nourishing her. We're not giving her what her body actually needs to thrive. And I just started, you know, I was then going into year three of CNM, and I was just having, you know, a better understanding of the human body. And I suppose my confidence was starting to creep up. And like you said, frustration was also building up, <laughs> which spurred me on to contacting you um, because I'd remembered in lectures that you'd mentioned that you work with a functional medicine doctor who I now know is Dr. Tommy Wood. Yeah. And I remember emailing you saying, oh, can I have his details? Do you think he'd help? Because I was at this point sick of being told this is just what you've got to deal with. And, and seeing dad, who's a very positive person and is a really proactive person, in life and then just having no tools to actually do anything proactive so, with yeah, yeah. powerless powerless yeah, yeah, powerless and mum of course being powerless but I was just so fed up so I emailed you and said can I have his details and well I hadn't realized actually the reason we talk about Tommy Wood uh, is because I played in a lecture I thought you were in this lecture but it was another time I was playing in a lecture uh, it was a YouTube video of Tommy talking about whole food peg feeding mm. and how um, a member of his family has had multiple sclerosis, but then someone else had approached him, again, a friend with a daughter who was also pretty much bedridden mm. at this stage mm. and was told, end of life care is all we've got now, just make her comfortable, yeah. there's nothing more we can do. And similar to your mum, they kind of said, there's nothing more we can do now, yeah. this is just about you know making her as comfortable as possible. And he helped the family do a whole food feed, blending yes. it up and putting it into the peg bag. Mm. And so he talks about this at a conference, I played it in lecture once and said, you know, power of food, nutrition... He delivers it much more eloquently than I have just done as well. <laughs> that was good. Um, but I sent you that video and I said, look, I can only tell you what I would 
doing your position. Mm-hmm. And the hard thing is here from a kind of you know professional perspective, both Tommy and I have just, just kind of helped you, but you have done everything. We've just kind of given you a little bit of input. We haven't worked in an official capacity. We've just said, if I was doing this, and, and we had a chat about this earlier where I said, interestingly, I got some GI issues Mm. last year that gave me really bad gastroparesis where I couldn't have a lot of food so I had to figure out and do my own kind of macros on okay what's the most nutrient-dense foods and how do I make sure I've got enough iodine I've got enough calcium and, mm. and so I'd started to kind of adapt my nutrition I was also following the GAPS diet and that's what I said to you this would be if I was you you know I'd mm. start looking at this kind of stuff yeah um, you actually went to Terry Walls's website didn't you He's, yes I had her book um Terry Walls obviously, you know, got, had secondary progressive MS and through the power of nutrition had well, reversed many of the symptoms. Um, but I think it was also using um, electro... It's a stimulation, isn't it? That's it, a, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> muscle stimulation. Muscle stimulation, yeah. yeah. That was really inspiring as well. And we'd actually learned about her protocol during our lectures as well. Um, Did you share that with your family? Did you... She's done TED Talks. She's done TED Talks, yes. It was a balancing act, actually, at the time, because mum was really poorly in hospital, and it was obviously a really stressful situation. So I was battling with myself to, am I going to add the stress? Am I going to add stress to them? And I remember saying this to you in a a break during a lecture, and um, we spoke, and I said, I just, I don't really know what to do. I feel like I want to do, talk to intervene, but, and I remember you saying, it's, it's, it's weighing up with a, you know, you're going to add the stress or not, um, but maybe you um, maybe you could suggest just trialling something for 30 days. Um, and I thought, oh, that sounds a bit more appealing, I think, <laughs> um, knowing my dad and knowing my family. So I remember just going in with that after, as I said, getting to a point of real frustration, and I just thought, okay, now I can't stay quiet, now I have to try. You'd also noticed, actually, as mm. well, you were looking at her blood test, which is incredible to do, mm. and you were actually saying, she's looking pre-diabetic to me. Like a, yeah. And you even said to me, I don't, I don't feel confident, and you said that to me, and I was like, no, she is pre-diabetic. Yeah. Like it's, that's, yeah. that's crazy that they're not adapting mm. what they're doing based on the fact that her blood glucose levels are starting to climb, yeah. and yeah. you know this is going to put at risk now of, of lots, of, lots other of other metabolic things. complications. Yeah, Completely, yeah. Well, she was in hospital for most of... Most of the year, she went in in March, came out in June, went back in July, and eventually came out in October. So, the she was always on IV antibiotics as well as this feed. <laughs> Her poor body was just in bits. You know, she was at, and even when she went back into hospital, she was ballooning even more. This just the weight was, uh, and she was lethargic. She was sort of hallucinating. She was on so many medications because I should also have the big one is that she was having chronic diarrhea from pretty much March through to the end of the year, well, to about November. And it was then just this, it was just this cascade of problems, you know. It was, she got to have antibiotics because she couldn't hold her own when she wasn't on the antibiotics. And she spiked temperatures and inflammation markers were got, so put them back on, but they were such strong hospital-grade IV antibiotics. Um, her gut was just in such a mess. Oh, gosh. And so this diarrhoea was then causing huge problems, so much so that then she had a hospital-acquired bed sore. And it was just, it was, uh, the consultants were pulling their hair out. Yeah, you know, um, And she was on a gastro ward, um, and we had a good team of, of people, and yeah, it was just a case of, okay, well, we'll symptom manage it. So she was on double the amount of, um, the max, double the maximum dose, and they had to keep phoning the, um, 
the guys in the lab to see if this was actually going to be okay. I can't remember what they're called now. Um, like an emoji biochemist. No, yeah, but to, they were having to say, is this okay that we keep going up with this dose? Right. And it was double the amount of loperamide imodium, double the amount of codeine for its side effect, which is to try and slow the bowels down. Right. She was also on amitriptyline, which is, uh, I think it's an antidepressant, but it was for that side effect, yeah. which was to slow the bowels down. So she was on copious amounts of, of medication wow. to try and suppress what was happening. Um, and again, to me, this was starting to feel really, again, just like we're not actually treating the root cause. We're not actually getting to the bottom of this. And how are you expecting my mum's body to respond when she's getting, having all of this done and also then she's not getting fed what I just felt wasn't wasn't good enough for yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. wasn't good enough. So um, what did you do? Did you... Did you do like a PowerPoint presentation? No, I remember yeah, you as I said, you you spurred me on with the go for the 30-day trial. So I said to Dad, can we do this 30-day trial? He was like, Yeah. And again, he was exasperated. He was like, Fine, what we're doing isn't working. Yeah, yeah, let's just give this a go. But then I managed to speak to the consultant. He was okay with it. He said, But you need to get it through the dietitian. This was where the headache really started. <laughs> so we're on good terms now. But um, yeah, I and was going back and forth to Suffolk um, where they live in London. And I was seeing her every weekend or two. And I was trying to um, do as much as I could. And then coming back to London, finishing CNM, going back. But I said, look, I'll be back as soon as I hand in my portfolio. And I want to start feeding my mum real food. So the dietitian, she's like, you can't do that until she's at home. Um, can't happen until she's at home. It's too dangerous. There's too much risk a- attached to it. No one's done it before. No, 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 no. And I can remember quite an emotional conversation from London to her um, in Suffolk. And I was like, Rachel, I have to stop you there. There's there's literally, I have to do this, you know, and what else, what else are we going to do? There's nothing else that we can do here. Um, no one else has come up with anything. And I think I kind of, yeah, I, she said, okay. And she said, look, I I just have to say these things to you. I have to say that it's not recommended to you because, you know, under the Dietetic, Dietetic Association, we're not allowed to approve what's called home blended food. Right. Um, because, ironically, there's not enough evidence for it. Really? To which I was like, hang on, hang on. Are we saying there's not enough evidence for real food? Is that what you're saying? Wow. <laughs> and we both kind of laughed about it. Yeah. She said, I, it sounds ridiculous, I know, but... She said, "We, you know, the, the feed is nutritionally complete. And I said, I know it is, but what's it made of? And, yeah. you know, look at my mum. You've, you've seen her. So she said, okay, fine. <laughs> it's almost to get, her off my, get me off her back, I think. So, yeah, rushed back up to Suffolk when I handed in everything at CNM and had to get the consultant to have mum... Uh, agree but mum was out of it all the time so I was sort of like mum say it now say that you're happy with it now because <laughs> I had I had spoken to mum and said you, know, you actually said to you when she was more lucid it said to you I will try anything yeah and, and I said to you gosh that's kind of a green light to yeah. just go for this you know she's yeah, absolutely she's always been like that when she was more able-bodied should we say she was like get me on any trial get me you know I'll, I'll do anything so I knew that you know, it was worth it was worth a go. And it was just real food. It wasn't like I was trying some weird medical yeah, drug yeah. that, you know, nobody knew about. It was just real <laughs> food. It was baffling to me that it was, it was coming, you know, it was coming that, against that such a crystal. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna I know, <laughs> I know. But not I said, that out there. It's yeah, it's not that out there. And we we joke about it now with the dietitian 
as I said, we're on, we're on good terms because she has since seen such improvement with them and started a case study on it herself because she's That's so amazing. amazed. Yeah. Yeah. She said, I'm, I'm putting it out on the intranet of dietitians and um, explaining how, how much improvement your mum's made. So When you mm. mentioned it to me, I actually had a quick look online and saw a lot of people had done it for children mm-hmm. um, in the early years of life because yeah. they had rejected the kind of the nutritionally complete feed yes. and said, actually, can I match it with blending up food and I mean hat tip to you not even hat tip like massive high five because just looking at the work that it involves Mm. I'm thinking gosh this is this is a lot Mm. in terms of making sure that you've got the the vitamins and the minerals Mm. and you're matching the the macros I mean just tell us a little bit about how you did that because you were a spreadsheet I'm spreadsheet crazy spreadsheet yeah well it was really that you know you're playing down your part in it. I definitely couldn't have done it without your support. And then obviously Dr. Tommy was involved as well. And I remember us speaking and saying, okay, Karis, now everyone's agreeing to it. Shit. We're actually, <laughs> we're, actually we're actually, uh, we're actually doing this now. <laughs> Help. <laughs> and um, we had a really nice conversation. and We were just looking at the macros. And I think what we decided was that we'd start with, like you said, sort of gap style. So, um, so um, just to explain, yeah. that's the gut and psychology Gut and Psychology Syndrome, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. About that then. Gut and Psychology yeah. Syndrome is a the Gap Style is a book written by someone who very similarly said for kind of everything from autism spectrum disorders to gut issues to go back to kind of whole foods diet using broths and slow cooked meat, fish, vegetables. Mm. So it's it's very much a kind of I suppose what we now might call a paleo diet. We don't really use that, mm. that term that much anymore, but you've removed all processed refined foods, but everything with it being kind of cooked in broth and so cooked is easier on the digestive yeah. system. So in terms of, there's very little fibre as well to start with. Yeah. And yeah. So that was kind of a, a model that you went with. Definitely. To start with, to sort of almost to get it over the line as well, I said, well, I'll just supplement, you know, I won't take away some of the feed, I'll just supplement. So as in with food. So I was cooking bone broth, beef bone broth at home and um, purely bone broth for the first two days, I think. And I was just taking it up in little Tupperwares twice a day to the hospital and giving it to mum. I was having to teach myself how, well, um, the carers were teaching me how to use the um, the actual peg. Wow, <laughs> um, Which was, yeah, a steep learning curve. Yeah. So we were using uh, just some bone broth. And, yeah, it was starting to gain interest. Lots of the nurses and people were really, you know, fascinated by what was happening. That's very cool. Um, and the consultants as well, I must say. Um and then, uh, with your advice, I just started to introduce low FODMAP veg. So it was just peeled um, courgette and some spinach with bone broth. So it was, I was, it was like a little green soup, I called it for mum. And we were just giving very small amounts, because this is what the dietitian and I came to, is it needed to be really small, because she was used to having this feed, which was hung in a bag, sort of at room temperature all day, and it was just slowly being drip-fed into her stomach. But I knew I was going to be giving animal products, so because they couldn't be hung at room temperature, we were having to also adapt. Okay, well, we now need to go to bolus feeding, which is syringe, you know, putting the food in by a syringe, but we weren't sure how her stomach was going to cope with that volume-wise. So we were starting really slowly and making sure that she wasn't laid down at all because we didn't want it to regurgitate and, and come up through her mouth and make her feel and be sick. So there were lots of things to think about, but gradually... We were seeing improvements, they were trialling, getting her to come off antibiotics, waiting a few days, seeing if she was okay. And, you know, she was obviously carrying on with all the medication as well, and she was still having chronic, chronic diarrhoea, which was the big concern. And, 
Yeah, I can remember specifically actually just prior to this, the consultant, the gastroenterologist, who was great, just pulled Dad to, to one side just before I started and, and said, look, you just, you know, there's nothing more that we can do for Mary. And one of the carers who, I should say as well, the carers um, and Dad were up there every day at the hospital because the NHS can't cope with somebody with such complex needs as Mum wow. all day in hospital. So... One of the carers phoned me and said, you, I think your dad's quite upset because this consultant has just said this to him, we think. So um, that also was like the fire, the final straw. I was like, no, there is. I phoned dad and I said, right, just wait a week, I'll be there. So even that consultant wrote to mum and dad a few months ago and said, oh, I've heard how well Mary's doing on this home blended really? food. It's so nice to see. Oh, wow. All of this so stuff, they've acknowledged is, it. Yeah, well. they've acknowledged it, yeah. yeah. And what, what did you do? Did you then just add more different variations of proteins and? Yeah, and so then she was able to come home, which yeah. was much easier from a logistics point of view, yeah, from yeah. getting the food up to the hospital and making sure it was all sterile and everything. So she came home, and we started to gradually build up the food, and then I was titrating the feed down. So we were sort of doing seventy percent feed, thirty percent food for a few weeks and Rachel the dietitian and I were talking about introducing a new food every two days that was what I was allowed to do <laughs> in case mum reacted to it yeah so it was a really slow process I remember going home to do this and I thought oh, I'll be home for a month because of this 30-day trial and I ended up being there for three months because it was just, just sort of trial and error and kind of testing different recipes out and wow. and going slow enough that the dietitian would keep supporting me because I needed her to support me as well because we need to keep them on side, really. <laughs> yeah, of course. And it's also nice that they've seen... But then, they've because they've been on side, it's not like you overrode their, yes, their yeah. kind of professional input, that they now want to do case studies, and yeah. there's a good chance that this might actually you know, make some inroad at some point. Absolutely. Funnily enough, she said, uh, after we got mum home and mum was doing a lot better, she said, actually, I've just been to an NHS sort of um, dietitian's conference, and there's talk of starting to recommend this to patients in the oh. future. And she said... This is way ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, even just as you're talking, I'm thinking about it's, it. Will be the logistical logistics it of it it's and hard. the food safety side that yeah. will be so hard for them to be able to. Yeah. And but then if, if there's investment in that from, you know, kind of manufacturers producers, yes, it's be done in a way that, that is food safe yeah. and easier. And well, when I was first looking at doing this, I remember looking online thinking there must be a company that does this, you know, and in the states and there is, Australia yeah. there are. Yeah. But getting it over here was a nightmare and really expensive, and that's when, you know, you were on board, and I was like, okay, I'm going to have to do this myself. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a Vitamix. Signed it. The dietitian said you have to sign a risk assessment. We're handing all risk over to you, and I was like, sure, yep. <laughs> I've never done this before, but so signed that and just made sure that we did everything as as hygienically as possible, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I kept saying, I'm, this is my mum. I'm not going to do anything that would potentially risk her or compromise yeah. her further. Um, but yeah, gradually we were able to build up the recipe so that there was, you know, a, a, well, we went to 100% in January, as in 100% food, so we completely did away with the feed. Amazing. What, how did you, like, structure the week? So was it like, did you give him a menu? And menu of the day today. Yeah. So she has um, meat or fish. Um, there's about five. There's about five menu recipes that yeah. rotate, really. But I should say they've changed quite a bit over the months because we've had to adapt to, well, the coronavirus lockdown meant that I couldn't get the vegetables in from yeah. the same place. We had to sort of, you know, think on our feet a little bit. And 
was trying to get everything organic as, as much as we possibly could. And um, yeah, there'd basically be a, a meat or a fish and then some bone broth and then some vegetables. Um, but I would use Nutritics, um, the software, um, to calculate, to calculate the everything. And the yeah. And everything. Yeah. So that I knew that she was getting what she needs to get. And um, did you it, add anything that was like a booster or like to give her extra kind of nutrients? Yeah. Well, we were adding herbs as well, like as in you know turmeric and black pepper and rosemary nice. and um, sage, and we're sort of rotating all of those to try and give some ginger. And um, we didn't go with garlic yet, but um, again, these recipes are constantly evolving. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> To start with, Rachel, dietitian, was obviously wanting to know everything, and now she's completely stepped back and sort of trusted that you know we know, you know what you're doing. Yeah, we know what we're doing. She yeah. take us because you helped me massively. Because <laughs> <laughs> I constantly am messaging you, go, um, what about this? <laughs> Do you think this? It's the logistics that I was just. And I suppose I just never contemplated it when you were kind of saying it was the food volume thing that. Yeah. I was like, Gosh, yes, I'd never thought about how to get. And you said, I can only have this much in mm, there. And that's mm-hmm. that's why we kind of looked at, like, nutrient density. But, yeah. again, I also think you didn't give yourself enough credit for having the courage to do it. Because mm. I think even I was – I wondered if you would do it. You know, I, was like, <laughs> I wondered if I would do it. Yeah. When, when the whole of the kind of medical team is telling you that, that there's no point or mm. there's, it's not going to work or, you know, kind of blocking you in some way. So yeah. I think – the fact that you've you've gone on and and, and done it, and uh, I, I did have a conversation with you where when you were there for three months, I thought you must be getting pretty exhausted by now. Yeah. And I said, <laughs> is there other people prepping? Because you were doing all the food prep initially, weren't you? Yeah. Well, I didn't. It's not that I didn't trust anyone else, but I thought, well, this is my sort of <laughs> project. <laughs> you know, I can't just hand this over. Dissertation. I know. <laughs> Should write it up as well. Yeah. I was doing it all myself to start with the actual feeding of the food and blending it all, but then. Quite soon into it, I um, introduced one of our amazing care team was helping me out in the kitchen and then she was starting to sort of really get more and more involved. So with a view to then her taking over and we were just getting to that point and then obviously the lockdown happened and I was in London so I was like so grateful that she'd taken such an interest and was very willing and very happy to, to just you know, follow instructions that I'd email across and, and dad to be the sous chef. And, Amazing. Um, they, so he's getting involved as yeah, well. Yeah, definitely. So they have a, a set day a week. This is the other thing. I started off just doing, okay, I'll cook for one day at a time. And then I thought, oh, this is, it's quite a lot of work and it's just quite tedious. So then we built up to four days and then we got to a point where I was able to do 16 days, cook, batch it all, put it in the freezer. And then I could go back to London and then I'd go back again. So you made 16 days worth of food? Yeah. Wow. How yeah. long did that take you? A full day. With really? the carer's help. Yeah. Wow. Um, we got it down to a fine art. And we had yeah, a real system going. Um, but it just then meant that I could, as I said, go to and from London, which is obviously where I live. Yeah. <laughs> um, this was from January onwards. So, um, yeah, it was getting to a really good point anyway. And thankfully, so when lockdown happened, it was it was quite an easy transition for dad to then step in yeah. um, and then to carry on cooking. And they've managed to find, you know, other ways of getting the food. And I kind of, I do the meat and fish order online and I make sure that, you know, the right amount is coming each week. And um, I email them which vegetables to put in and how That's to do okay. the bone broth. And <laughs> so once you've done it once as well, there's an element to which it's then you know, you've got you've got a system in place, yeah. so you know how much food to order. Everyone Definitely. knows their prep, and then it's all frozen. So, Definitely. you know, it's although it's a lot of work in the beginning. Yes, then it then becomes easier. Yeah, and you become more confident, I think, because 
to start with I was checking every minute detail in nutritics in the software but then I was you know my confidence was building I was thinking no I, I actually know what you know 200 grams looks like and you know I was weighing everything very meticulously to start yeah, with yeah. and then I began to relax that a little bit and um, I do that with nut butter <laughs> uh, I, know, I know what 20 grams looks like exactly. giant yeah. spoonful <laughs> that kind of thing yeah <laughs> yeah and what's been the kind of outcomes for your mum? So I know you've had a little bit of back and forth, so there was a little bit of setback. But Yeah, well, the biggest, biggest win, I suppose, is... Um, well, there's two really big wins, but... So she came home early October, and her bowels were starting to improve. And so she was going from... If anyone knows the Bristol Steel Chart, <laughs> she was sort of like <laughs> a seven, the worst it can be, diarrhea-wise. And it was then to a four... Quite wow. quickly by by mid November, yeah, and so that then had big knock on effects to the fact that her skin on her where her, sac- her sacrum was where her um, bed sore was that was starting to heal. Mm-hmm. So then she was able to get out, up and out of bed into her chair more often, and then she was able to go into her garden and oh, you know the difference in her has her mentally has been pretty astonishing and she started to have a bit more movement in her hands um she doesn't move much anyway but her neck was stronger her head movement was stronger her hand movement was stronger and just mentally she seemed an awful lot stronger and then she was losing weight um but at a slow steady rate so you factored in a calorie deficit yeah. on, and how did the dietitians deal with that when you said it were they <laughs> were they on board or were they nervous no or? not to start with yeah <laughs> but I sort of convinced them because of the HbA1c readings that we had in, in hospital that you mentioned earlier. I think I was being a pain to them, but I'm glad I was because yeah, I said in the hospital, I'm sure she's there's something going on here. And then when they did the test and they saw she was pre-diabetic, I think they then started to believe that I kind of knew with your support what I was talking about. <laughs> so then um, when I was saying that there's an argument for cutting calories to get this weight down and to get her you know metabolic state better can we cut calories it was okay okay all right but just keep keep me informed you know that sort of thing and then they could see that I was doing it in such a way we were doing it in such a way that was gradual so it wasn't like a dramatic weight drop and mum was still you know still doing well and they weighed her again she'd lost weight and then they did another HbA1c and that came down amazing and I said the movement and then just yeah, emotionally and, and mentally, she seemed a lot stronger and, and happier. And it's a, such as and one thing I'd say is it's, it's it's having the patience as well with these things mm. because someone once said to me, for every every year that you've been struggling with a condition, an hour a month. So when you think about something like with your mom, you yeah. have to have the patience to kind yeah. of see yeah. the improvements. And and I kind of reiterate that because again when you work with clients, when I work with clients, mm. it's often kind of like, when's it going to happen? When's yes, it going to happen? Yeah. And it's almost like the more you just settle into the routine, mm-hmm. be patient and just focus on just as much as you can, enjoying your day, loving mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. you just start to see the body just, just you know, return to, to, to that right balance yeah. to health, you know, however you want to kind of hemostasis, wherever you want to yes. put it. And But it, it is a slow journey, especially when you've been through something like your, your mum's been through yeah. and, and the kind of, all of the different systems have to slowly pick up. Mm-hmm. But you had a setback again with... Was it flax related? No, we never know what it was related. But um, yeah, when I it's typical when lockdown had happened and I was stuck here in London. Could um, have been lockdown, you know. Could have been was, lockdown. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna put and it on knowing that, that she was glad to see you. Yes, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it meant that. Yeah, um, bowels were sort of not good again. So I was really scratching my head as to oh, what what's happened. We haven't changed anything diet wise. So 
um, yeah, reached out to you again. It's like, oh, what what's going on here? When you said, is it flaxseed? And I was like, well, it could be. Yeah. <laughs> I've had people react to chia seeds. People like, oh, oh, react to anything. You know? Know. Like, sometimes your gut just does not like something. Yeah. It was a, it was, it's, and it still is a, a balancing act, um, trying to sort of get things right. But we adapted the diet again, the, the recipes again, to pull out quite a lot of the more fibrous veg. So we're going back again to more gaps because we were thinking, oh, she was very bloated, and I just thought there's some sort of fermentation going on. So we pulled out the starchy veg, and we were going with, and still are actually, uh, bone broth and. Um, sort of the low FODMAP veg as well. We're starting to build it up again a little bit. But then we also introduced herbs. Which, that, that kind of pushed you onto the next step, didn't yeah. it? Of like, I think there's still more I can do yeah. and, and go down the route of herbal medicine as yeah. well. Yeah. Which, again, did you run that by the team or...? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the team being Dad <laughs> and Mum and the carers. <laughs> no, because simply really because, again, it's it's... A case of I think I would have a lot of pushback, and yeah. I'm confident that the people that you found, you know, were well, have helped you, and they're yeah. extremely cautious and careful and very, very experienced. So, yeah. and they're going slowly and steady with herbs, and um, so far we're seeing brilliant results with that. Oh, that's amazing. Which is really good news. Really, really good news. Yeah. And and um, do you administer those through in the food? Uh, no, separately, so it's powdered, and yeah, and we, just, we push that through in the in the peg via wow. um, syringe. Yeah, so it's it, again, it's it's that fine art, and I can't thank the carers and dad enough for continuing to to do this because it's a process. It's sort of four times, I think maybe five times a day, and it can only go up to four hundred milliliters per bolus, as it were, because you don't want to overwhelm her gut and have it regurgitate. And there's just there's constantly things to think about, and then there's the medication, but. Um, I don't think it's any different to the care they have to do anyway, no. you know, okay, so they're not administering the shake now, you know, yeah. it's like yeah, yeah. and it's... Well, that was just done, that was just done on its own through a drip, oh, through right, a pump. Through a drip. Yeah. okay, so they didn't have to do the... They weren't actually then. having to do it. Yeah. Right, okay, so that's but another I, level of experience for yeah, them as well, yeah. injecting it. And they were all, pretty much all on board when I was first going back to say that I was going to do this. There was one care at the time who was nervous about doing this, she was like, I think this is all a bit, you know, scary, and... This is just before I was going to go back to um, Suffolk to do this. And I remember thinking, I just want everyone to be on board. I, I'm already nervous about this. Yeah. I don't want any pushback, even if it's, you know, from someone that's not centrally involved in it. So I remember having a conversation with her and just saying, look, I, I'm doing this anyway, and I'd really like you to just be on board. And I'm, I'm worried about all the things you're probably worried about, but um, I, have, I have to do this. And a little Brené Brown um, quote popped into my head, actually, my... My um my boyfriend said it the night before. He was just like, you know, you're always loving Brené Brown, and what is that quote thing about getting in the arena and being in the arena? And yeah, yeah. unless you're in the arena as well, you, you don't really have the right to kind of criticise other people for oh, being courageous awesome. and being brave. So I was, it really stuck in my head on the train on the way back. I was like, I'm in the arena. I'm going in the arena. <laughs> I'm getting in the arena. I might get my ass kicked, but I'm going to get in. The arena. <laughs> so thanks to Renee for that amazing quote. Oh, yeah you should be so proud because you know as I said I when you first wrote to me I just thought it's such a I don't even think the scale of it occurred to me until you sat down and I'm like here are the logistics mm. this is what I've got to comply mm. with and this is what I've got to do I was like wow yeah. this is just going to be unreal if she can pull this off and you did so yeah well, thank um, you and all the way along I've been going have you congratulated <laughs> have you stopped for a second girl? Um, the first thing Tommy said was wow like you're amazing <laughs> like well done for doing this because yeah. 
you know, and for three months of your life, it was a full-time job to yeah. do it. But I don't also think, you, you like, don't underestimate the emotional stress that you've been mm. under doing it because you'd be constantly doubting, you know, like yeah. questioning, doubting, making sure that, you know, everything was how it needed to be. Yeah. So it's a lot of kind of mental energy, emotional energy to, to do Definitely. It. And as you all know from lectures, I'm not the most confident of people normally anyway, so this is quite, like, out of my comfort zone for sure, sort of, what you mean? I have to talk to consultants? I have to actually get on a level with consultants? I was terrified of doing that because I, I am the type of person that worries what other people will, will think and will say, but something just switched and I thought there's nothing to lose here I've got I've got to give it a go and and I think that call when that that doctor said that to dad there's nothing more we can do I just thought no that's not okay (laughs) there is there is there is and I remember us having a um it's called a discharge meeting when someone's about to go home after a long spell in hospital and um what was interesting was it was myself my dad a carer my brother consultant then a Marie Curie nurse and another nurse and everyone was sort of quite doom and gloom in this meeting sort of like well you need to prepare yourself that she'll come back in quite soon she'll need to come back in and do you do you really want her to come back into hospital is it fair and all of this and I just sat there thinking there's no proactivity here there's no sort of uh, taking into account the mental state of of us as a family you know we we want to to do more we want to actually kind of help and the consultant said I know that Mary's daughter is is going to take on the food so we're, you know good luck with that sort of thing <laughs> and um something like that oh, <laughs> yeah but when we came out of the meeting the nurses you know they were coming over there saying well, unofficially we think what you're doing is amazing and it's oh, really exciting okay. and we really want to keep up with this all and so let, let us know how it goes and I just yeah I remember started thinking there's yeah, chronic condition. I mean, the NHS is fantastic, and don't get me wrong, it saved my mum and dad's life several times. But when it comes to chronic conditions like MS, they just were at a loss with what to do. And um, it's that's why it's so nice that some of those nurses and that consultant have since heard about how mum's doing and have said, it's great. And the dietitian, of course, has yeah, yeah. written the case study and has said, I can't believe it. I'm now championing you and what this is for. And I'm trying to bring it up to other dietitians and saying, this is what we should do in the future. Just have to keep fingers crossed that they're in positions of influence and we'll be able to, yeah. you know. But I think it will, you know, the more cases that they come across where this is this is happening, and maybe mm. that will come from Australia and America where it's actually yes. been made easier with yeah. the, the pre-packaged stuff, yeah. it will start to kind of become maybe trialled and then eventually, yeah. you know, the, the normal intervention. But what would, I'm kind of conscious of time, what would mm. you like to say to people out there who maybe either have an autoimmune condition, and I get several people who contact me initially and say, I haven't really been given any nutrition advice. Mm. Um, you know, is there anything that can be done? What would you say to those people or anyone who wants to help parents mm. or family loved ones? There is there is so much that can be done with food, but there's also a huge amount of I think this mindset comes into a, a huge amount as well, and and using your sort of intuition. You know, it was I didn't necessarily know that everything was was going to turn out. You know, how, how as successfully as it has done. But I just thought something isn't right. I've got to, I've got to speak up. So I say, I suppose I'd say to people, if you feel like you know, intuitively that there's something more that could be done, that you're not satisfied with with the result, you know, with the with the answers that you're getting, then just to keep kind of keep going and keep pushing for, um, keep kind of challenging things really. Yeah. Um, with respect, of course. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I have the utmost respect for the medical professions, but there was just, you know, that. I think there's 
they are at a loss because of their training, you know, a lot of the time when it comes to nutrition. So it's so great that we can do so much, particularly for autoimmune conditions with, with the power of food, but also with a positive mindset and a proactive yeah. mindset. And and I think that that has to come into it too. I mean, my dad is literally a hero with what he does for my mum and he's just always so sort of upbeat and, and supportive and the carers are phenomenal and you know my brother and myself have always been sort of trying to make things as better as best as they possibly can you know we're not saying that we're going to cure mum of MS and we're not saying that you know she's going to be up and running around but if we can do if you can do something with nutrition which you absolutely can that will improve things even 10 yeah. percent then it's got to be worth the effort to, yeah. to go through and and I think yeah, there's so much that can be done with the power of just real whole foods um, that are nourishing, that are nutrient dense, that you're you're giving the body what it needs and taking out what it doesn't need yeah, to the yeah. point, which is really and, I think what was the case with mum. And a big part of it, I think, is just nourishing the gut, like it's our yeah. microbiomes and everything. It's we know there's that link between you know big part of the immune system is in the gut, so yeah. the food is going to be a big part of rebuilding this this population of Absolutely. bacteria and fungi and everything yeah. that, that we yeah. need to have our kind of defense mechanisms in place and, and rebalance but I think what's really nice about your mom's case is the fact that she does have this team yes like this, but like by I mean family seem to be her team as well yes. so she's yeah. got the team of carers that's yeah. great, but she's got this family team who mm. clearly like love her and, and mm. you know are kind of round the clock rooting for her helping mm. her supporting as you guys have done so there's kind of elements to which she's got things there for our health that, yeah. that really you know do we know kind of support the immune system as well yes yeah and and then there were elements that were missing which you clearly identified mm. we often kind of talk about there's there's relationships there's environment there's yes. the food there's the exercise and there's sleep and stress management and so what's been amazing about your story is you kind of came in with the food and were like this is the bit that's like really missing mm-hmm. here and, and and you've kind of gone on to say you're now looking at how to get more movement into her yep. routine and things like that but obviously there's a cost element to it yeah. so you're kind of working on that so but you're step. kind of putting all the different pillars of health in place yeah for which we know with these kind of chronic conditions is it's just a really good foundation that you know that can be can complement the medication we're not saying it's one or the mm. other it's, mm. it's just that that also does need to be there to give the body that fighting chance definitely definitely it's a combination of factors that are at play but nutrition was really integral with with mum's improvement um and to then then in turn to get her off so many of those medications that were then affecting her in other ways the side effects of those so yeah just it seems so simple and like I, that's what I laughed about with the diet this is just food but it you can say it in that sense but you can also say yeah, this is food this is amazing this is powerful stuff you know um it gets it gets overlooked I think a lot of the time but um yeah along with environment and and love and you know relationships and and community I think it's key (laughs) oh awesome well thank you so much um you've got to let everyone know where they can read more about you about what you're doing yes uh so yeah my website is at howgutsy.com oh very cool yeah um instagram as well um i'm about to set up facebook but yeah it's the early days at the moment (laughs) it feels like but um yeah i'm really really looking forward to it and i would love to help other people that are in similar positions that might be facing something similar to my mum or have autoimmune conditions and um yeah more than happy to try and help Oh, and you're going to be amazing at it, I'm sure. Well, thank, <laughs> thank you, you so much for giving up your time, and we'll probably get you on again soon. Oh, thank With you. More case studies, no doubt. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much.
All right, guys, uh, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do share it with anyone who you think might benefit uh, from the info. Info? <laughs> info. <laughs> info, and uh, obviously leave a review as well if you um, again, enjoyed the episode. That's it, guys. We'll see you over in episode 152. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.